Paul is writing, he said, all I want to do is I want to know him and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings and be conformed to his death. You say, well, pastor, does that mean I want to struggle and I want to suffer? That's not what Paul's saying. He said, I understand that this time of year, as every time of year, is all about Christ and him crucified. He understood that Jesus, yes, he, he was born. He grew up and lived a sinless life, showing us how to live. Not only did he show us how to live, but he showed us how to say no to sin, how to think, how to treat others, how that we can live in a continual relationship with the Father. He showed us. He came. He became one of us that we could become like him. He said, I came for you. Will you come to me? And ultimately, he showed us how to die. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. You have your Bibles, open them to 1 John. Today is what we kind of call the last day of the Christmas season. It actually, if you want to go into Epiphany and, and the, all the different uh, elongated versions, actually January 6th is the last day of the Christmas season. The 12 days of Christmas begin the 25th and goes through the 6th of January. But for most people, uh, the last Sunday, or for churches anyway, the last Sunday of the year. So I want to talk a little bit to end this series we've been on, Christmas, what is it really all about? With the message that I titled, and it's in your notes, He Came to Us. Will we come to him? There's so many people that know the Christmas story, but they don't understand the Christmas message. Can I say that again? There's not a single person pretty much in the world that doesn't have some idea of a babe born in a manger. They know the Christmas story, but they have not accepted the Christmas message. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to give us a little bit of understanding of what Christmas is really all about in one little tidbit of a message. The year was 1809, and the world scene was quite tumultuous. Napoleon was sweeping through Austria. Blood was flowing freely. There was not a lot of people paying a lot of attention to babies being born. But 1809 was a turning point in the world for many, many things. There 
were not important matters to look at the babies, but the world was overlooking some of the most significant births that have ever happened. William Gladstone was born in 1809 and became one of England's most remembered and recognized statesmen. Alfred Tennyson was born to an obscure minister and his wife, but became one of the great literary minds of the world. Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts in America. Not far away, a poet by the name of Edgar Allan Poe was born and lived a tragic, event-filled life. But it was also the year that a family by the name of Darwin gave birth to a child who they named Charles. And the church world has never been the same. Are you with me today? The babies were being born. I remember reading a story one time about a man that was visiting. He was a historian. He would go different places. And he stopped in these cities over and over. And he stopped in this one city because he's always looking for the famous people. And he asked this elder gentleman that was sitting there, how many, or who were the famous, or uh, were there any famous people born here? And the elder man looked at him stern in the eye and said, no, sir, just babies. Every world changer started out as a baby. Can you say amen? Also in 1809, in a rugged log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky, one of the greatest presidents of our time was born. We know him as Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln. If there had been news broadcasts at the time, you'd probably not hear about the destiny-changing lives that were sitting in cribs around the world. But history was being made. Lives were being shaped in the cradles of England and America. Very similarly, some 2,000 years ago, in a manger in Bethlehem, there was a baby born. But also like 1809, like several other times of the years that we've lived, no one paid much attention because of the taxation and the census that was going on. But the biggest news event of mankind happened some 2,000 years ago. The Savior was born in Bethlehem. People have asked me, Pastor, I don't fully understand the incarnation. I do not fully understand why did Jesus have to do what he did? Why did he come? Why did he die? I've shared a story in the church a couple times over the last few years, but I'll share a synoptical version of it about an, an elder man that was married to a woman who was an on-fire Christian. They were farmers, and they lived out in the country. The wife had gone to Christmas Eve communion service or some service in town. It was nighttime. He was sitting warm by his fireplace, and all of a sudden he was startled by a loud thud that hit his window. He, couldn't, he didn't have much room for this Christian stuff because he could not understand why did God have to come into this world? Why did Jesus have to die? He couldn't figure it out. To save us? Why? He could have done 
it some other way. The old man was sitting there, and all of a sudden he heard a thud again, and he got up and he started looking around, and he went to the front door, opened it, and laying at the base of his window were two small birds, dazed and startled, literally freezing. He instinctively picked up the little birds and put them in his hand to warm them, and as he did, he glanced around and he saw a whole flock of little birds all huddled together, striving to keep warm. Well, there was a cold snap coming in, and he thought, man, if he doesn't do something, these little birds, these little birds are going to die. I've got to do something to save them. Well, it didn't strike him at that point, and so he thought about his barn. He opened the doors, and he turned the lights on, and he did everything he could do to get the birds. Oh, they flew. He startled them, but they came right back and got together again. He laid out food to try to trace them to the barn, and they went down, and they pecked on the food. They grabbed some, but... Once again, he was foreign to them. He was a monster. He was a giant. He was unapproachable, unreachable, unattainable. And all of a sudden, the farmer said, man, if, they just, if I could just become a bird for a little while, then I could show them all I'm trying to do is trying to say. And then it dawned on him. For us to get saved, Jesus had to become a man. Because God was so distant. God was so unapproachable. God was so foreign. We, we couldn't relate. So God said, I tell you what, I'm going to come to you so that you'll come to me. Are you with me this morning? First John chapter 4 says it this way, we love him because he first loved us. In Matthew chapter 25, he said, I'm going to set the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. And then the king is going to say to those on his right hand, Come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And a very familiar passage of scripture, this time of year especially, is Isaiah 9. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Oh, yes, babies make a difference. And God sent his son into the world as a baby, helpless, totally dependent upon his parents to show us that we too are helpless in this world and that we need to be totally dependent upon our Father. Can you say amen this morning? See, the greatest gift ever known to mankind was given that first Christmas, given simply, purposely, dedicated, and in the timing that God said. The Bible says in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Now, this is key phrase to understand. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, not because it was deserved, but because it was required. You see, the Bible says that no sin can enter into the kingdom of heaven, that there has to be an atonement. That word atonement is just a very fancy term that comes from a phrase that means to put at one with. Jesus became the atonement 
or the sacrifice that put us back at one with God. Are you with me this morning? The gift set from the foundation of the world. The Bible says that it was the fullness of time that had come. You see the manger, Gethsemane, Calvary, they were not a second thought. It wasn't that God was wringing his hands and said, oh, what do I do now? I I mean, the law didn't work. The prophets didn't work. The kings didn't work. The judges didn't work. The priests, what am I doing now? No, no, no. God had structured all of that from the very beginning to help us to understand that God's a God of structure. God's a God of order. And you cannot just flippantly come and go and do what you want. I know that's kind of a novel thing for the church world. We think we should be able to do anything we want to, and God still understands. That's not what my Bible teaches. And if yours does, I would recommend to use it for fire paper and find one that doesn't. Long before there was a stable in Bethlehem, long before there was an Adam and Eve who set eyes on each other, Long before there ever existed a garden in a place called Eden, God had determined that his son would die on the cross for the sins of mankind. From the very beginning, God knew that man would fall short of his glory. This is why the scripture very clearly proclaims in Revelation chapter 13, just one place, that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. From the very beginning, God made a decision that you were worth it, that I was worth it. How many are very happy that he made that decision? And you see, the gift of Jesus, not the gifts under the tree. Like I said last week, it wasn't the presence under the tree, but it was the presence hung on a tree that made a difference for you and I. And that gift on that first Christmas is what Christmas is all about. Jesus died for us to make a way for you and I to come to him. The gift of his plan, his purpose, and his love is what God has from the beginning of time planned to accomplish. Like the little ever-ready bunny, it just keeps on giving. Well, folks, the love of Christ keeps on giving. To all that receive, he said, every day can be the merriest Christmas of all. Am I making any sense this morning? Why was there no room in the end? I want to try to put to sleep some Christmas myths. When the Bible says that Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem, And they found no room at the end. When you read it, the story clearly in the book of Luke, the Bible says they had been in Bethlehem for a while already. That's why most scholars believe that when the wise men came on the scene and the star shone and all the different things, it was about two years after. But he was born in a manger. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. But the Bible says when they were in Bethlehem, the time of her birth came. The time had come for the child, and they went not to an end that you and I might think of. It would be more, more better translated as a guest house. 
Because of the law in Deuteronomy, because the children of Israel used to be foreigners, they used to be in Egypt, God told them when he set them free out of the Exodus, he said you always need to have a guest room in your house for foreigners, for travelers, for people that have no place to stay. Every house had a guest room. And there was no room. Why? Census was going on. Taxation was going on. So it wasn't that they were rejected, as some of us might think. There was no room because the whole world was distracted by what was going on. Let me bring you to 2013. Most of us are distracted by the things happening in this world. Therefore, we take our eyes off of the only one that can give us hope in this world. And we start looking to our bank accounts. We start looking to our relationships. We start looking to friends, neighbors, relatives, enemies. Somebody to help make it through. Why was there no room at the end? Is Joseph and Mary, just like you and I, have to come to a place that a reliance comes upon not what they can do, but what God can do. And God still made a way. God still made a way. In Luke 2, it says, She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in the manger because there was no room at the guest house. Let me bring us back to this year. We've got TiVo, don't we? Some of us are so concerned about not missing our favorite shows that we spend a lot of time making sure that they're recorded. Some of you sports fanatics out there, make sure that nobody tells you what the score is until you get home to watch the recording. I mean, nobody in this room, I know. Yeah, nobody in this room. I just know one person, and I won't mention his name, but his initials are, are John Harmeal. But uh, uh, poor John. So if I know your name, you're part of the sermon, okay? Just so you know. Okay. Don't worry, Justin, I'm not going to say anything. Worship. Worship is the message of Christmas. All God is trying to do from 2,000 years ago to now is he said, I came to you. I'm just trying to make a way for you to get your eyes on me. You see, the end is just like our hearts. To many in this world, Jesus, spiritual things, church, they have become distractions to the real issues of their lives. Maybe some that are sitting in this room. You come to church because your wife nudges you. Your husband encourages you. Your children drag you. We actually have a few kids in this church that make their parents come because they love church so much. That's, folks, that is a great thing. I'm always amazed at parents that punish their kids by keeping them home from church. If, you know, just that uh, is amazing. But there's too many that think church is a distraction. I got things to do on Sunday morning. Well, because of the way the church has been growing, we've actually been talking about let me throw it out to you all. A Saturday night service or a Sunday morning double service? How many would vote for a Saturday night service? Lift your hand up high. 
How many would vote for a second Sunday morning service earlier and then later? How many just want me to shut up so you can go to lunch? Don't raise your hand, please. But there's so many that if it's not convenient, if it doesn't fit into their schedule, I think that I need to, without equivocation, ask this simple question. Aren't you glad that God scheduled you and I into his son? The Bible says he stepped out of eternity into time. God made room for us. God came to us. Are we too preoccupied to come to him? Even in the midst of things that happen daily in our lives. I don't know about you, but I've had times. Yes, over the years as pastor, I've had times that I got so frustrated, so irritated or or bothered by something that I didn't even take it to God. Has anybody done that besides me? Things just happen. And you're trying to work it through. And God's nudging you and say, hey, what about me? And you're just trying to, you're getting frustrated, you're getting irritated, you're getting aggravated and all the other aids out there. Madison, you, guys, you ever done that? Okay. Think about it. I'm not even going to ask Patrick if he's done it once or twice. Yeah, maybe. God's back there nudging you, tapping you on the shoulder, say, hey, 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 remember, you can do all things through me as I give you strength. Hey, 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 I can make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. Those scriptures are familiar today, but when you're going through it, they're not always that familiar, are they? God's just saying, hey, call unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I know how to give you rest. Oh, God, you're just too busy for me. That's what we think when we have these little incidental things. Folks, he came to us, and all he wants us to do is come to him. This is why Christmas is all about worship. Worship is not about instruments. It's not even about songs. When the Bible tells this in in John 4, that those that come to me must come to me in spirit and in truth. Worship is in spirit and in truth. It's not about songs. It's not about instruments. It's about a heart. A heart that realizes it's totally dedicated and committed to a relationship with God. And they can come to him in that spirit because they understand the truth. That there is no other hope for mankind. This is what Jesus was telling the woman at the Samaritan well. Those who worship me must worship in spirit and in truth. He said the day is coming and now is. You say, Pastor, why did he say, and now is? Because Jesus came to walk with us, to talk with us, to live among us, to help us understand this is what it means to walk with God, to live with God, to love God, to talk with God. This is what it means to worship. It's just a relationship, walking arm in arm with God and saying, God, thank you. Thank you. Walk with me. Thank you. 
God, thank you for making all this work out. God, I don't understand everything. Now listen to me. Let me take you all the way back to Genesis. The Bible says that Enoch was walking with God. Enoch was worshiping God. Enoch had a relationship with God. And guess what happened? They were walking along and so close that they had become that pretty soon Enoch wasn't anymore because God said, hey, you're closer to my house than you are to your house. Why don't you come spend the day with me? And he's been spending the day with them ever since. You know why? There is no night in heaven. Those that worship. See, this is what Christmas is all about. This is the message of Christmas. Worship. Today, Christmas has been totally emptied of its meaning. In this politically correct society, we use terminology like happy holidays. We use terms like Merry Xmas. I always thought that one was kind of funny. Even though they took Christ out of Christmas, they still have the cross in Christmas. Just a novel thought. How about happy winter solstice? I had somebody tell me that the other day. I wanted to slap them. Pastor, you don't ever feel that way, do you? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Folks, so many of us, so many of us, so many of us do things and take things out of Christmas because we get too busy for Christmas. Still, I think the worst part of those that say Merry Christmas and have no idea what Christmas really means. You see, there's folks, there's a lot of people that know the story, but they don't know the message. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says that you and I are the ones to bring that message. And what that message is, Colossians 3 says, is Christ in me, or Colossians 1, the hope of glory. Romans 12 tells us this. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy unto God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Look at me for just a moment as we begin to wrap up this message. Present your bodies unto me. There are times in every one of our lives, your pastor included, that I don't want to do right. That I'm in the midst of a situation and everybody's doing something and I know I shouldn't do it, but I want to go with the flow. Anybody besides me guilty of that? Okay, I thought if I threw myself under the bus first, you might come on board. But there's times that it's easier just to go with the flow. The problem is, is it hurts me and destroys them. Because they know you are a Christian. You say, Pastor, they don't know what Christians are supposed to do. Oh, yes, they do. They might not know what they're supposed to do, but they know what they're not supposed to do. And God says our spiritual act of worship is 
yielding our bodies to him. There's lots of different movements happening in the world today. There's a movement out in the church world. It's called tavern theology or pub theology. It's where people go to bars and they drink and share the gospel. I find a conflict in that, ladies and gentlemen. I find a conflict that I can do something contrary to God's word and expect a result from God's word. Are you with me? My Bible still says, come out from among them. My Bible still says to to crucify the flesh, to say no to these things. Now, am I telling you that taking a drink is going to send you to hell? No. You have a glass of wine with the dinner. You have a beer with a, with a, with a, whatever the heck you have beer with. I don't know. Don't start naming things off either. I'll find out who all is drinking beer in the house. Okay. But I'm not saying that, folks. It's just like, like. You know, smoking a cigarette, you heard me say a thousand times, isn't going to send you to hell, I don't believe. I don't know why you want to go to heaven smelling like you've been there, but still. Present your body. Now some of you more more rigidly religious than me, uh, you know, if you can give me chapter and verse on stuff, then we'll talk about it. But the reality today is it's a life lived for God that the Scripture is talking about. If Christmas is not the essence of worship, if we as Christians don't celebrate this holy day, which is where we get the word holiday, entirely recognizing it's about the birth of Christ and worshiping the Lord and Savior, our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, then what's the point? Christmas is just another day. Isn't that what Christmas is all about? See, so many of us get so caught up in the commercial, in the stuff, but if it's not about Christ, what is the point? The Lord himself in Isaiah 7 will give us a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. We talked about this last week. You say, well, pastor, I don't believe in the virgin birth then you cannot be a Christian. Sorry. If there is not a virgin birth, there is no Savior. If the Christmas message is changed one iota, we can't have salvation. He was just another guy, born in humble surroundings, raised in a precarious way, and died a horrible death. If the Christmas message isn't the same. Why is the birth of Christ all about worship? Because the Bible teaches us that he was born, but he's no longer in the cradle. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in every way as us, yet without sin. He's no longer in the cradle. He lived life. He lived a perfect life 
one without sin, and because of that, it says we can come boldly to him in our weakness. Philippians chapter 3 tells us these words. Paul is writing, he said, all I want to do is I want to know him, and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings and be conformed to his death. You say, well, pastor, does that mean I want to struggle and I want to suffer? That's not what Paul's saying. He said, I understand that this time of year, as every time of year, is all about Christ and him crucified. He understood that Jesus, yes, he, he was born. He grew up and lived a sinless life, showing us how to live. Not only did he show us how to live, but he showed us how to say no to sin, how to think, how to treat others, how that we can live in a continual relationship with the Father. He showed us, he came, he became one of us that we could become like him. He said, I came for you, will you come to me? And ultimately, he showed us how to die. Jesus even gave us a picture of what to do when we're approaching death. Now, let me take this into the natural situations of life when we're going through those frustrating times. Jesus said these words. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You say, well, Pastor, I've got a lot of people that have come against me. I've gone through a lot of stuff, and they knew exactly what they were doing. No, not in light of the message of Christmas. Not in light of eternity. They have no idea what they're doing, or they wouldn't do it. Just like you and I, when we do things that we know we shouldn't do. In light of eternity, if God let the light of eternity shine that moment, we wouldn't do it. This is why Ecclesiastes 11 tells us that because God's punishment for a sin is not executed speedily, man's heart is bent to do evil. Folks, he's no longer on the cradle, in the cradle. He came, he lived, and ultimately he died. But let me share this. He's no longer on the cross either. Folks, I was raised Catholic. I had my crucifixion that I wore on my neck. I walked around with the St. Christopher all the time. Maybe you're here, and you still do. I'm not telling you to throw it off and curse it objects. They have nothing to them. They're just the jewelry. Just like wearing a cross doesn't make you a Christian. But I wore all that stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, he's not on that cross anymore. In Mark 15, it says, Joseph of Arimathea took the body of Jesus down, wrapped him in linen cloth, laid him in his own tomb, and they rolled a stone into the entrance. Jesus completed the work. See, that's what the cross is all about. The Bible says that the curse of sin came upon mankind in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve chose to listen to the devil and sin, they rebelled against God. The Bible says God drove them out of the garden. They put an angel, two cherubim, at the face of the garden to protect it so they didn't go back into the garden. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why people believe that that happened. But they sent them away, and they said, Cursed is the ground for your sake. Because you have lived the lot, chosen to do what you've done, there is a curse upon the earth. Well, the Bible says that Jesus became the curse for us. 
In the book of Deuteronomy, it says, Cursed is everyone that hangs upon a tree, which is why in the Old West, they used to hang people. They were reproached. They were reparable. And they would hang as a curse to society to show what they have done. Well, the Bible says Jesus took the curse of mankind and he hung it on a tree. As a matter of fact, in the book of Colossians, he said, I took the curse, I took all of the things against us, and he nailed them to the cross of Calvary that you and I could have the freedom that he promised. As he hung on that cross, he shouted out words. The Hebrew word was tetelesi. With great confidence, certainty, and victory, he said, it is finished. That word tetelesi is the Hebrew word that says, it is paid in full, done. And unlike other people, I can say, Period. He finished the work. But let me tell you one more thing. Well, actually, let me show the video. A few years ago, I took a group of people to Israel. And here we are. And I want you to read something. You can turn it up a little bit. We went to a place called the Garden Tomb and walked into the tomb that Jesus was buried in. That's where they laid his body, was in that area. Look at the sign on the door. This is the tomb in Israel where Jesus was buried. He is not here, for he is risen. Ladies and gentlemen, the manger was not the key to you and my victory. The cross was not the key to you and my victory. Yes, they were parts. The fact that he was born, that he lived, that he died. But ladies and gentlemen, if he would have stayed in that tomb, it would have been over for us. But I'm here to tell you today, the tomb is victory. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And we have the victory because the blood of Calvary was given and the tomb is empty. Can you say amen? He is risen, Matthew 28, just like he said. Let me ask you a question. Have you come to him? Have you come to him? In your life right now, do you need to come to him? Things are happening, struggles. This is Christmas. Oh, not the day, not the season. But it's the greatest gift given. Not presence, but God's presence. God came to be with us. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. 
I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win.